Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Geordie Bailey. And I'm the guy currently with COVID-19, Duncan Nickel. Oh no, Duncan, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it really does suck. Um, so everyone, I'm not up to our normal full book club discussion this week, as I am quite under the weather dealing with COVID. <coughs> oh, perfectly timed cough there. That's why I sound a little bit more raspy at the moment and can't record in my normal full setup. But do not panic, um, because in place of a full book club on a court of thorn and roses, as we would normally be doing, Geordie's going to give you an in-depth analysis of the new TNT movie instead. Now, my analysis on the film will have to wait. Uh, for related reasons, I could not go and see the film when it came out, as I fully intended. But I'm sure it's very good. At least I hope it's very good, because I'm I'm going to go and see it kind of regardless at this point. Um, it'll probably be good enough for me. I watch films like Warcraft, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. I'm trying to think of another one. Something of that seem ilk. Oh, Wrath of the Titans. Which, who don't know, anyone who doesn't know, Wrath of the Titans is the sequel to the not very good reboot of the original Clash of the Titans. And I still legitimately like that movie. In fact, it's one of my sick day movies. Uh, Sick day movies is what I'm watching a lot of at the moment. Things like Hercules, Disney's Hercules, Willow, like 80s classic fantasy and like noughties or tens not very good fantasy. So... Anyway, enough of my rambling, because I am running truly out of breath. Um, here hoping to be back to a normal week n- next time to discuss Quarterthorn Roses, and here hoping uh, Georgie isn't too entertaining without me, otherwise he may run off and go solo. Over to you, Geordie. Yeah, so super bummer. <laughs> we were going to record a Quarterthorn Roses. Duncan is ill. I was going to see the Dun- Dungeons & Dragons movie and ask Duncan what he thought about it. But Duncan is ill, so that is like two weeks of episodes, wham, out of action already. Uh, so, I'm gonna take this one solo. I, 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 the idea of not putting out an episode for a month makes me feel, it makes my skin crawl. I can't imagine that. So, here I go. I did go see the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and I have a lot to say about it. I'm going to give a review, and also, I'm going to give a little explanation of what I've always imagined a Dungeons & Dragons movie should be. I actually started writing a script for one before they announced they were going to do, like, this D&D movie, but they obviously were going to do another one. It's so big right now. So, and, and, you know, compare that to what I saw versus what I thought it should have been. So, normally, this is when I'd ask Duncan what he thought of the movie, but... I guess I'm just going to have to do it. I actually got to see the D&D movie for free. I uh, entered a little arrangement with my local cinema. I'm actually a professional dungeon master these days. I run weekly games at a local board game cafe, and I run these campaigns for people. And the movie theater found out that we did this. They saw a poster as the manager was walking by. She called up my boss and said, would you like to run a cross-promotional event at the Light Cinema? She invited us down, me and the other professional dungeon master. 
I don't know if he wants me to say his name, so we'll call him Cool Hat Guy. Uh, invited me and Cool Hat Guy down to the movie theater, and we sat in the lobby all day yesterday. I think I was there for like six and a half hours, um, running mini games of D&D and inviting people to, to come along to the cafe and try out some campaigns of us. Really exciting stuff. Uh, but the best part was, I got to go see it in IMAX. They gave me two tickets to uh, to come to the cinema and watch the movie. And I knew I had to, because there was no way I was going to spend all day talking to people who had just come out in a movie with no idea if it was any good or not. Because then I'd have to be like, so, did you like it? Is it good? Like, do you know enough about D&D to know if it's a faithful advertisement of D&D? I had to go. And going into it, I actually had really really low expectations. I didn't really like any of the trailers I'd seen for the movie. I also don't think that the approach of just making a fantasy movie and then make adding some D&D stuff, my instinct is that's not the right way to make a D&D movie. Whether I'm right or wrong about that, we shall see in the course of this review. But, woof, I had really low expectations. So, when I went to see it, when I sat down in my seat, Got out my the food I'd smuggled in because I'm not gonna pay fifteen pounds for popcorn and a drink. Did I have a good time? I had an amazing time. I loved it so much, way, way, way more than I expected. I had a total blast going into it. I just had this feeling that it was going to be like the cheap knockoff of Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what I really felt like they were going for when I saw the trailers. You know, they had a big rock anthem. It was all about getting the team together. There were these kind of clunky jokes I didn't find that funny. <sighs> going into it, thumbs down. What I actually got was, I mean, I gotta say, fundamentally, I guess I'm not that far off the mark because it is very much that Oh, we, we're forming a found family. Oh, we're, it's all about getting a team together. It is quite, how should I put this? There's a certain humor aesthetic that's become very popular in the wake of some of the Marvel films where they don't take the source material they're basing their, sto they're basing their story off that seriously. The, it's, you know, every time Spider-Man says something like, Oh, I'm, says, oh, what's your name? I'm Otto Octavius. <laughs> but really, what's your real name? Like that sort of thing. I was really afraid of it being like that. And I guess there are like one or two jokes, which are kind of like that, but they don't feel in any way as malicious. Like there's a scene where someone says like, this isn't a fantasy, this is real life or something like that. And that's a little, little bit eye-rolly, but actually on the whole, I found the movie really funny. Uh, which surprised me, like, a lot of jokes landed, whether they were Dungeons & Dragons based jokes or just regular movie jokes. Like, there's a character in it who is, I guess, supposed to be the Drax equivalent because he takes everything a little bit too literally. I didn't like that joke, but I did like the character overall. I liked the dynamics. Uh, there's a fun, easy wholesomeness to this. I think what really makes it work is the fact that of all the actors in it, everyone is doing their best. That actually sounds way meaner than I mean it to, but, like, people in this movie know what they're doing. Hugh Grant is doing his, like, Paddington 2 performance, and I love Hugh Grant's Paddington 2 performance. Chris Pine is doing his 
Wonder Woman 1 performance, and he was really good in Wonder Woman 1. He was the best part of Wonder Woman, so I'm glad to see that again. Michelle Rodriguez is doing her Michelle Rodriguez. I love to see Michelle Rodriguez. I really enjoy her, you know, as an action hero actor, and in this, she is a really solid, good action hero, slightly seen-it-all barbarian warrior. And then... There's the crucial aspect to it, is that does it work as a Dungeons & Dragons movie? Not just fantasy movie. And mind you, I think that most fantasy movies are pretty bad. They have a low bar to clear. They're normally just a guy running around in a desert with a shirt off. This is a good Dungeons & Dragons movie. And it's not just because it's full of D&D references, though it absolutely is. There is something which it really just gets about D&D. In the times, even when it's a bit, you know, unfaithful to D&D, like, they make up a magical item, which we know, oh, well, that's not a real Dungeons & Dragons item. I've never seen a Hither Viva staff, blah, blah, blah. That's not what matters about it. What this movie really pulls off is it has the feeling that you get when you're telling your friends what happened at the D&D session they missed. When they say, sorry guys, I couldn't make it last week, what happened? And you go, oh my god, it was insane. We had to do this heist, we had to break into this tower, but like the guards, we couldn't get in. So rather than like try and fight our way in, we were like, what if we could find a special magical item? So we went on this crazy quest. It had that fun, frantic energy that comes from, oh my god, I'm just so close to being imperiled. Always just making it by the skin of your teeth. Always having to come up with a new, desperate plan. Ah, so good. It captured the spirit of D&D without getting bogged down in, like, the mechanics. Which is fundamentally what you want to do. Because I've read the Dritzt novels, or at least I've read the first three Dritzt novels, and that's exactly what those books do as well. You know, there are barbarians in those books, and those barbarians, you know, activate their barbarian rage to fight better, but Wolfgar doesn't have three rages a day, and then once he's done those, he's out. You know, characters do have spell slots, but they don't talk about them in terms of spell slots. Characters in this movie, the funny thing is, you can tell that behind the scenes, the characters are kind of using some D&D logic. Like, for the most part, you kind of know that... You kind of know that, like, oh, this person is holding back their strongest magic. They're not using it out all in one go. It's not this, 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 this. Um, and even the one section which is, like, they do flagrantly break a rule. Like, a character uses the spell anti-gravity, um, like, three times or four times in a row, which is impossible. Well, I guess not impossible. I guess you could burn, like, your level 9 spell slots. But yeah, like, he used it an unreasonable number of times. And the reason that works is they actually have an explanation. They say that was a wild magic surge. And you realize that this guy is a wild, is a wild sorcerer. And like, oh, that actually makes sense. So you've just had a random magical effect that happened several times in a row. How about that? There's, like, uh, the fact that, like, wild shape works differently than it does in the game. But it works, like, in a way more interesting way than it does in the game. It actually feels a lot more like what D&D very recently tried to do with the new one D&D version of a druid, where they were trying to play with it a little more. And if druids worked like this, they would probably be pretty fun to play. I think people would absolutely love them. Probably a bit overpowered, though. I think Doric needs to be nerfed. <laughs>
Um, speaking of the character of Doric, I really liked, um, actually, I don't remember Doric's actor's name, but Justice Smith playing, um, the sorcerer, I really liked him. I, I was actually really surprised because when I watched the trailers, they had this one joke about him, like, stepping on a bridge and accidentally collapsing it, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm gonna like this particular joke. If this is this character's style of humor, I'm not sure I'm gonna enjoy myself, but actually, he was my favorite character. I loved him to bits. His actor was had this great, solid, really sad, deadpan delivery, which I love. That's one of my favorite forms of humor. Just like, I'm sorry, I can't quite do it. <laughs> Almost a bit Eeyore-ish. Ah, oh, but man. I I mean, what I, I can't really say anything else except I had so much fun. I loved watching the characters interact. I loved a lot of the jokes. I loved the action sequences. Every time a Holger gets to fight in a crazy barbarian way. What I love about that is that so little of it is just hitting people with her axe. So much of it is doing clever action gags. Like, it's obviously not rising to like Jackie Chan level or anything like that, but the fact that most of Holger's fights involve her losing her axe and hitting people with a brick or like throwing people into walls and then taking the shelf they fell into, picking it up and smashing someone else over the head of it, slamming someone else's head into molten steel. That is what I like. That is like creative, dynamic fights. It makes me think of a dungeon master who's really good at describing kinetic, frantic action. The sort of cool dungeon master who when someone says, I, you know, I take that guy's head and I, I slam it into the desk. They don't go, oh, you're not improvised. You're gonna be using an improvised weapon if you're smashing someone with a desk, so. You're not going to have proficiency in that, and it's only going to be 1d4 damage. Mm, maybe you shouldn't have been trying to be so creative, and you should have just attacked him with your axe every single turn for the rest of the game. Mm. No, it makes me think of someone saying, okay, well, there's no reason not to deal the same amount of damage that you would with your axe, because you're still holding your axe. You haven't had your axe taken away from you. Let's just be creative. You want to head headbutt that guy? Sure, go ahead and headbutt him. Let's And let's just use the same damage as your scimitar, like, because... Why wouldn't you just be using your scimitar? Whatever. Don't 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 overthink it. In terms of like D&D references, yeah. There are a lot of D&D references and I do not I'm not the guy who points in a movie and goes, "I understood that reference. I get it." <laughs> I'm standing up and I'm pointing. That is not me. I can't stand that. But <laughs> but they did kind of get me with this one because there were so many times you know, it takes place in Faerun, it takes place in the Forgotten Realms. There are so many times where I point, like, it was kind of like, like, I, I get it, I know that. And unfortunately, it got me right from the start. I went to see it with one of my players, who's in an Icewind Dale campaign with me, and the movie starts in Icewind Dale. And he was literally like, that's a bit on the nose, isn't it? I was like, shush, shush, don't interrupt the movie. But the first scene is that not just in Icewind Dale, it's in Revel's End, like a location in the adventure that I am running for that guy. And you run into a scene and there are axe beaks. And my D&D table loves axe beaks. We have a pet axe beak. So I was like, it's Bill. There's Bill. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, it completely got me. Um, so many, like, little fun nudges and winks. You know, but the original... D&D cartoon party, they show up in, like, a scene later, which is it's a little on the nose, but it's sweet, you know, oh, no complaints from me, I'll say that. You know, and lots of, like, 
name drops to the Harpers and like the Emerald Enclave and the Lord's Alliance and stuff like that. That's little stuff. Lord Never Ember. That's the little stuff. And what I realized is, I'm glad that stuff's in there. Because when people are going to want to play D&D, and people are going to want to play D&D, I know I met those people in the movie the next day. They're going to want to say, can I join the Emerald Enclave? And it's so great that we can say, actually, yeah, you can. We have specific rules so you can join the Harpers. You can join the Emerald Enclave. You may mentioned briefly the Lord's Alliance. You can join the Lord's Alliance. That's great. If there's one thing I was really afraid of in this movie is that it would give people a bad indication of what it is to play Dungeons & Dragons. And I personally think that it did a good job. It captured the right frenetic energy. It captured the sense of adventure. Even the little stuff it just, like, makes up. Like the fact that it might be hard to attune to an object. Not only is that, like, it doesn't matter that it's not faithful to D&D, but basically anyone, if you have the right class, you can just attune to an object. Isn't it kind of more fun? Isn't it kind of interesting, the idea that it could be challenging to attune to a magical item? Like, if you're a good aligned creature, not only could it be, like, hard to attune to an evil item, what if it's actually dangerous? You know, I mean, the classic one is that some evil magical items might make you evil. But what if, like, you have to go on, like, a spiritual quest just to be able to access its powers? Speaking of that, there's this bit in the movie, and I've done a... I'm deliberately doing a spoiler-free review because I don't think you should need to, um... I think that you should go see it. If you're a fan of fantasy, and you should be if you listen to this podcast, seriously, go see the movie. Like, it's, it's a blast. Um... I'm sure it won't be everyone's cup of tea. I have not glanced once at any D&D-related social media. I bet there's a bunch of real people with their panties in a twist about it. I don't care. I don't care. I'm losing track of myself, but I enjoyed this movie a phenomenal amount. I hope they make eight more. I hope they completely burn it to the ground. What do I want those future D&D movies to look like? Because this movie does have like a kind of a bit of a sequel bait thing. It didn't do the full Marvel. Oh, the next villain from the movie shows up at the end to be like, I'll get them. Didn't do any anything like that. It just sort of said, the character said, well, our actions of this movie are going to have consequences. As they should. They should reflect on that. I, um... I think there's a lot of directions they could go with just doing more D&D movies. I want to see more Doric. I want to see more uh, Justice Smith. I want to see more of those characters. I think I'd have a really good time seeing more movies of them. Or even weirder, broader ones. Like, this movie is all about one heist. Let's see some fucking paladins fighting demons, you know? There's a lot of weird stories you can tell with D&D. I'm a happy bunny. Now... I did mention that this is not how I would have told a D&D movie. And the reason for that is that, and maybe my mind's changed from this. In fact, yeah, it has. I feel like they, they demonstrated that I was wrong about this. But I have always felt that a D&D movie should not just be a game set in a fantasy world. Or sorry, even a story that's just set in a fantasy world. It shouldn't be a Dritz novel. 
it should play with the fact that Dungeons & Dragons is a game. It should say, what is D&D about for players of that game? Because Dungeons & Dragons and tabletop role-playing games more broadly become a huge part of anyone who's a big fan of them. It's inescapable. People want to play more and more because we love escaping to these imaginary spaces, but we also bring a lot of ourselves with us. I think that's what a movie that's about D&D should be about. And even though I have been proved wrong, even though they've demonstrated that actually standard fantasy movie works pretty well in defiance of Jeremy Irons in 2001 and Snails... In defiance of that, it worked out. But, because I have your ear, and because Duncan's being really quiet in this episode for some reason, normally he doesn't let me talk this long, I'm going to be a little naughty, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the idea I had for an DD movie. And bear in mind, this is one I started writing. Like, I started writing a script, I got some distance into it, fell off a little bit, found that they were actually, like, in production with a proper D&D movie, lost my spirit because I knew it wasn't going to be like my idea and even if I was like somehow able to like write the sequel it would not work with their D&D movie so I I put it I put it to the side I would like to tell you now what I thought a D&D movie should look like now what you have to understand about the key difference between my idea for a Dungeons and Dragons movie and what we have in Honor Among Thieves is that my movie will be split in two it will be, not 50-50, but one half of it, one part of it, is set in the real world. The D&D game that's at the center of this story is a game of Dungeons & Dragons. It is a single session of Dungeons & Dragons. And the, what it's really about, though, is the lives of our characters. It's about their relationships. It's about how the game changes their perspective on the world. Because... I certainly have had my life changed by games of Dungeons & Dragons. The movie would begin with our Dungeon Master. I actually never got around to naming the Dungeon Master. I think it amused me that he would only be referred to as Dungeon Master, even though that is not how people talk to Dungeon Masters. Maybe I just hadn't really figured it out yet. What I can tell you is that he is a school principal. He's the principal for... uh, It'd probably be American, because, you know, it'd be American Studios. He's the... President? He's the principal of an elementary school. As he's getting ready in the morning, we see him talking to himself in the mirror, and he is practicing his opening speech for the D&D game that's going to happen that evening. So as he's shaving, he's brushing his teeth, you know, he's got his fingers in his mouth, and he's, he's like blubbering his way through. And so, Lord Dagout never remember. So, Lord Dagout never remember. Because you've defeated the cult of the dragon, Tiamat, blah, 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 uh, he's seen fit to commemorate your success with a festival. As he's practicing his little speech, we see him get ready for work. He steps out the front door, bagel in his mouth, and as he's walking to his car, he's approached by his neighbor, Alice. Now, I'm picturing Alice as, like, middle-aged, definitely mum age. She's going to have two kids, uh, kids who are interested in fantasy. In fact, you know, she's been reading to them The Hobbit based on his recommendation. I'm picturing her as like, and I think it's really important, one, to encourage as many people as possible to join the game, and to give a big F you to a bunch of nerds I don't like, that the car should be very diverse. You know, I want, like, I'm imagining Alice as like a middle-aged black woman. I think we should have like a non-binary character in one role. It should be demonstrating that D&D is for everyone. It's not just 
It's not just for guys. It's not just for white people. It should be a game for everybody. And by the way, I keep trying to imagine who I want to be in the role of the Dungeon Master, and I keep jumping back and forth between, and maybe not these specific guys, but I'm imagining him played by either Ted Danson or Stephen Colbert. Now, I do know that Stephen Colbert does play D&D, but it's that sort of guy, you know, like, quite straight-laced, charming, just has a nice aura about them, like, that sort of thing. That's what we're going for. No specific actor in mind, though. I don't actually have any, like, specific actors in mind for this movie, except for one. There was one actor I think would be essential. He wasn't in the D&D movie. I think that was a mistake. I'll get to that later. So, uh, he's making his way to work, and the, and he, as he's going, his neighbor Alice, who is one of his D&D players, is talking to him about what she wants her player to do, or her character to do, that evening. She's saying, I think I don't really want my Holy Avenger sword anymore, like, I never use it, I'd rather trade it in for a staff of healing. When he's on his way to work, he stops by a coffee shop. As he's going in, he sees the two co-workers there. Uh, their names are Mika and Tyler. They are also both players in the game. Mika is the wizard, uh, Tyler is the barbarian, and um, what was Alice? Alice plays a paladin. However, we discover when the game actually gets started that she hasn't really embraced the whole smite evildoer aspect and actually sort of ends up being more of a party's like um, healer character. You know, uh, tends to focus more on the lay on hands as opposed to the divine smite part of paladin. Mika really wants to speak to the dungeon master about something important. And she, um, but she won't talk to him about it when Tyler's around. When Tyler comes over, she, she shuts up mum. And in fact, whilst he's getting his coffee from them, he doesn't have time to find out what it is. He heads to work. When he sits down at work, in between meetings, we see him start to paint miniatures. We see, you know, if you pay very close attention, you see that he's starting to paint a figurine of Tiamat. In fact, I think you could see, like, a bunch of the the enemies in the game, like, laid out all at once. A bit like how you see the, um, the evil spaceship at the end of Star Trek Into Darkness as a model earlier in the movie for eagle-eyed viewers or people watching for a second time. And as he's, like, painting this himself, this is our chance to have a little bit about, a little bit of personal exposition about our dungeon master, you know. One of his co-workers comes in, he mentions how he's been playing the game since, like, the 70s, like, he's seen the game change so much over the time. But he loves sharing with people, people of... Uh, of all sorts of different life experiences. At one point, though, someone, uh, his secretary comes in, and she says that someone's come in without an appointment. And she doesn't think that she's a parent. And when he looks out the door, he sees that Mika is there. And Mika sits down and says, I really have to tell you something. Cut away from that scene, we later see that, and if I set this up when he's, like, painting the figurine, he can't paint... Like, Tiamat's green head because he's run out of green paint. He goes to a paint shop, and there he sees the last member of the D&D party. This member is Sam. Sam is going to be a, a very artistic character. Sam is, uh, is non-binary, they're going to use they, them pronouns. And Sam's character arc is going to be based around the fact that Sam doesn't really feel able to contribute to the table. 
like they they're not as confident as everyone else at the table they're not as able to sort of make their voice heard or stand out in the scene they'd much rather sit towards the back and just sort of help everyone else out from a distance the dungeon master really wants to help push sam forward into a situation where sam can grab you know can grab the mic and just like really take center stage that'll be our last scene of introducing characters flash forward it is the game session. Before things start, the Dungeon Master looks perturbed. He actually waffles his opening line a little bit. As other people are getting situated at the table and catching up over what they've been doing during the week, we see that everyone here is friends of one another. Mika's also looking a little bit tense. The game starts. It, we go into full D&D fantasy mode. We're probably like 20-25 minutes into the movie now. He starts his opening spiel. He talks about, he catches us up on the events of the campaign so far. Very briefly, we see that we're following a brave collection of adventurers. And these adventurers are all played by their D&D real-life players. The actors double up on their different roles. So, you know, Tyler's actor is still playing the half-orc barbarian. and he's just wearing prostheses now. Um, Alice is playing, I don't know... <laughs> Maybe a, maybe a halfling, maybe a dwarf, maybe even a, um, what are they called? The ones that <laughs> Matt Mercer accidentally turned into cows? Fearbold. Maybe she's playing a Fearbold or a Goliath or something. Uh, Mika's playing an elf, and because, and, and I also want a tiefling in my movie, but my tiefling is definitely to the nines, red skin, horns, tail, and that is Sam's character. I never bothered to name, like, the D&D characters, they never got that far, but we'll just call them by their real-life people names. They begin with a festival, we get a little sense of how these, uh, the players play their characters, and essentially they are just slightly dialed-up versions of themselves. Tyler is even more of a jock, you know, in his barbarian form, he likes to pretend to be slamming jugs of mead, and the, uh, and Mika playing a wizard is even more, like, straight-laced and intelligent and we also see that Alice expresses the fact that she is kind of a mum of the group in the way she acts. The fact that she plays a healer in the group is sort of representative of the fact that one, she doesn't really engage with the violent aspects of the game and in fact there will be points in the game where Tyler will say, we'll be smashing into someone's head and we'll cut back to the real game, and she'll go, oh, oh, Tyler, you don't have to be so graphic about it, as he's, like, gesturing how he's killing someone with his axe, that sort of thing. That's going to be part of her character arc. However, so this game begins with a festival, celebrating their victory over the cult of Tiamat, but oh no, the festival is interrupted when there is an attack by the very same draconic cult, and it is led by... And this is the only bit of casting I think I am requesting. It's led by Arkan the Cruel, played by Joe Manganiello. Because for those who don't know, Joe Manganiello is an actor. He uh, is a big fan of Dungeons & Dragons. And he played on the show Critical Role a character called Arkan the Cruel, an evil dragonborn servant of Tiamat. And... That is a canon character. He exists in the D&D cosmos. He, you can find him in the game Descent into Avernus. So he's out there. He's, 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 he's in our wheelhouse. So he should definitely be the principal villain of the movie. 
He's gonna bust in, he's gonna steal a MacGuffin. He's gonna steal a keystone that can open a portal to Avernus. And his plan is going to be to take it to the portal of despair. And once he places it in, complete the chant and summon Tiamat. He's gonna summon the evil queen of, of, of Dragonkind to rule and destroy the world. And it's the job of the heroes to stop him. They're gonna go on their quest. Uh, we'll have one quick fight against some mooks to demonstrate our guys' cool abilities. And when they arrive at the Temple to the Draconic Gods, they're going to have this series of challenges. It's going to be fighting bad guys, solving puzzles, trying to figure out a riddle, blah, blah, blah. I'll breeze past that, because what's really going to matter is there's going to be a showdown with one of his lieutenants. Now, uh, Arkan has canonical lieutenants. I don't remember their names, but he has like an evil turtle. He has a minotaur. But I'm also going to throw in a third. He's going to have a an elf who is a disguised red dragon. So those are the three mooks they got to take out. They're going to be confronted by the Minotaur on the bridge whilst fighting all his mooks. Mika does something very strange. Mika gets the chance, rushes in to fight him head first, which is not like her at all. And when she tangled with him, she casts the spell Disintegrate under her feet. She destroys the bridge under which she's standing and she and the Minotaur fall into the abyss. There's a very dramatic moment. Tyler is going to leap in, and he's going to do something completely audacious that only works because he gets a crazy high roll. He's going to like take a sword and hook the hilt onto the edge of the bridge and hold on to the naked steel, cutting his own palm to grab Mika and hold her in place. Absolutely ridiculous. People really complain about the internet, but the whole point of it is it's crazy stuff that only a barbarian could do. They haul Mika up, and they say, what the hell was that about? You didn't need to sacrifice yourself to save him. That was a really bad idea. Uh, she, she tries to, she's avoidant. Another fight comes along, and against the next minion, a turtle. And once again, as the fight goes on, she puts herself in a crazy dangerous situation, and she has to be saved from it. Uh, probably not Tyler this time, probably uh, Alice's character has to like leap in and take a hit that was really dangerous because Mika was playing really recklessly, which is not like her. The turtle managed to escape because they're not fighting properly when they're distracted and they have an actual real-life argument, which is not normal for their group. They say, Mika, what the hell were you doing? Why are you trying to be so reckless with your character? And Mika says... In a, in a moment of like where she just shouts it out, she says, I want my character to die. They're super confused about this because she loves playing elf Mika. And we find out that Mika is leaving town. She's going to get her masters. She's done working at a coffee shop. And that means she's leaving the campaign. And this is um, really disheartening. Uh, I, I've not said this explicitly, but I think that Tyler probably has an unrequited crush on Mika. I think he's probably like, he's, he's he knows it's not going to work out, but it really cuts him up that Mika's going to leave. And, you know, maybe they aren't. He doesn't actually crush him up. Maybe they're just best friends. They've been best friends since they were babies. And her leaving really upsets him. They take a break, they walk off, and they all go their separate ways uh, to comfort one another. In, in different ways. And the point of this is going to be that comfort's going to come from unexpected places. You know, Tyler's not going to be comforted by Alice because one, 
I don't want Alice to be completely bogged down into the emotional support person in the group. That, 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 that's wrong, that would be very restrictive for her, and not to mention, pretty stereotypical. No, that's not going to happen. Support for Tyler is going to come from Sam. Sam, who doesn't spend much time talking to Tyler, is going to go up and be the one, surprisingly, to comfort him, to say, look, it's okay. I understand you're upset, but this isn't a personal attack against you. And, and they're going to come to an understanding through that and become closer friends because of it. Support's going to come for Mika from, from the Dungeon Master. He's going to say, like, listen, you do have to go your own way. But there are better ways than killing off your character. If this is my job as Dungeon Master is to facilitate the game which makes you happy. And if this makes you happy, then I'll do it. But I also see it's not going to make everyone else happy. It's going to upset them. There's more ways to leave the table than by killing off your character. Mika the Elf can live on. The, the scene in this where um, Alice is going to participate in this is that she's going to talk to the Dungeon Master separately because they're the grown-ups in this group. Everyone else is like in their 20s, uh, maybe even in their 30s, if that's how you want to play it, but they, they're definitely the grown-ups of the group. And they're going to have to sort of reflect that. In a way, it's a bit like losing one of their kids. They're going to go off to college. They're going to move on with their life. And that they're going to have to help everyone pick up the pieces once someone leaves to realize that just because one person goes doesn't mean everything has to fall apart. The group becomes reinvigorated after this. They head into the final fight. Uh, Arkan the Cruel has seized the capstone. He's doing the, um, he's doing the ritual. His minions go to fight them. And this is where everything changes. Mika has changed because Mika is no longer trying to do heroic sacrifice. It's not about her. It's all about stopping Arkan. And Tyler has changed the most. Tyler was previously completely all about just having fun, just showing off, making sure that he was the one securing the last kill. Now he's in full support mode. All he wants to do is facilitate everyone else's success. It's not about him anymore. So in he's fighting, like, he's not even going to touch his axe. I think he even, the first move he does, he's going to throw the axe and knock the keystone out of Arkan's hand or something like that. And everything else in the fight is going to be about him wrestling other characters. If someone else is in trouble, he's leaping in, he's wrestling someone else away. If a rock falls on someone, he's lifting it up. He's in support mode. The people who get to shine here is everyone else. So Mika's thing is going to be like, there'll be like um, another sorcerer. I don't know what character it's going to be. She'll be doing counterspell after counterspell after counterspell. In fact, there'll have been a point in this game where she was doing this really important big spell and this evil sorcerer counterspelled her. So there'll be a pivotal moment where she's going to save the day by casting counterspell. The people who really, really stand out though are the ones who've been forced into the background before. Because Arkan is part barbarian, but he's also a paladin, an evil paladin. And so he's the dark mirror to Alice's character. And for the first time in a whole game, Alice is going to draw her holy avenger, and she is going to duel head-to-head -head with Arkan. It's going to be extremely dramatic, shouting. It's going to be all about her being like, no, I'm not using my spell slots to be a healer. I can be much more than that. It's not about her getting mad. It's about her being confident, about her taking center stage. And 
Sam is going to stand out because Sam is going to use their creativity. They're an artistic character. They're the person who tends to be drawing other people at the table. And they are, I never mentioned this, they're playing a druid. And they're going to use their shape-shifting powers in really clever, interesting ways. They're not going to just get something with a lot of attack points. They're going to turn into a snake that can wrap around that big red dragon's mouth and like hold it shut. And then they're going to turn into a whale in midair and just crunch that dragon to the ground and pin it. And then they're going to turn into a mouse to scutter away. And by working together with Mika, they, they kill the dragon. They, like, counterspell the, um... Yeah, there'll be a bit where, like, they manage to uh, channel the dragon's breath in some interesting way. Like, through absorb elements or something. Or through a portal or something. They'll turn it back against the sorcerer. The sorcerer will do something like create a shield spell. That's when Mika counterspells it. Boom! They use creativity to win. And... The fight ends with Arkan having his hand of Vecna severed. He has the hand of Vecna. Spoilers for Critical Role, I guess. Um, they sever the hand of Vecna, and someone has to walk it through the portal to destroy it. Mika rushes for it, and no. Tyler grabs it, and Tyler chooses he will sacrifice his character, who he loves, so that Mika cannot do it. The game comes to an end. They win the game, and... We flash forward a little bit. Mika is grateful that she does ultimately get to keep her character. We see her maybe being dropped at the airport. Maybe that's a bit too dramatic. But we see her meeting with the dungeon master. And as he wraps up and says, like, you know, he gives this slightly impassioned speech about how Dungeons and Dragons or games like it, they're not just about the loot and the experience points. They're about the memories you make at the table. And no matter how far away she goes, She'll always be able to tell her own stories. And maybe the funny thing is that I realize that even though I don't move for Hasbro, I think I'm probably making more of an ad for D&D than the actual D&D movie was. But I'm just being authentic about the way I feel about this hobby. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be Dungeons & Dragons. It could be Call of Cthulhu. It could be Thirsty Sword Lesbians. There's all sorts of games you can play. But he is going to hand her his Dungeon Master kit, his DM screen, his books, and he's going to say that you're going to make a fantastic DM. She walks away. She leaves him behind. We see, right at the end of the movie, the next D&D game. Mika has been replaced at the table by Alice's kids. They've joined the game in her place. Tyler is playing a new, more sensitive character, maybe a bard. We see in some humorous moment that he's kept some of his, like, immature stuff from earlier in the movie. And that's the way the movie ends, with the next D&D game, and I'm saying, when last we left our heroes, bam, it's over. So yeah, <laughs> that was my plan for a D&D movie. Um, not remotely similar to what we got. It has the same um, emotional heart, but it's much more about the characters' internal things. It has this nice motif, but it's, it's about failure. You know, it's a game about, like, when things fail, find a new way to try, because you only fail... Once you've lost, mine is much more about the experience of being at the table. Um, you know, maybe there's another place for that. It's certainly very different from what the D&D movie was like. Isn't it fun to go on a fantasy adventure? <laughs> I sure think it is. Uh, anyway, I, I've chatted for too long. Duncan, uh, do you have anything to say? Well, that all sounds fantastic, Geordie, and... 
I hope when I get to see it, I uh, I strongly agree with you because I don't think we'll have the time for me to have an in-depth argument if I don't agree with any of your opinions. But thank you for rambling on for the last half hour. Thank you for rambling on for the last hour. Thank you for rambling on for the last 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's like a, you could cut in which one's most relevant. Right, well, I'm still very much looking forward to seeing the film. And discussing my opinions with it with you at our next book club session a court of fawn and roses if anyone listening to this has seen the new dnt movie or indeed the old dnt movie um, why don't you reach out to us and tell us our thoughts you can do that at our gmail at is this just fantasy podcast at gmail.com or on instagram at is this just fantasy podcast and do follow us on instagram we do post other things just other than just our announcements for when these episodes go up um, small little tidbits and it is the best way to reach out and interact with us uh, so do do that right now i must go back uh to my sick bed have a great time everyone thank you duncan and thank you for letting me speak you know by myself for so long i i do like to hear the sound of my own voice and this is my first chance to that i can just talk without you interrupting me all the time with your own opinions and ideas Ugh. Anyway, I've been your host, Geordie Bailey. I genuinely don't know if Duncan recorded a thing at the end to say, and I'm Duncan Nickel, but he has been Duncan Nickel, and he does have COVID-19. Everyone, please wish him well and a speedy recovery. He sounds terrible. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.